morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Friday, April the 29th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. Malawi's president, Razaras Chakwera, says corruption in the country continues to rise despite efforts to end it. He says a lot of cases of corruption were exposed in the past. And a new investigation by Global Witness reveals that large amounts of minerals linked to conflict and human rights abuses in the Democratic Republic of Congo end up in two products manufactured by global high-tech companies. This system is specific for tin, tantalum, and tungsten, which are metals that are used in electronics. So you have them in your phone, in your car, or your computer. And despite putting in measures to curb malaria, Zambia remains one of the hardest-hit countries in Africa. We'll have those stories plus sports coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, Malawi's president, Lazarus Chakwera, says corruption in the country continues to rise despite efforts to end it. His comments come after a new study shows most Malawians think corruption has gotten worse in recent years. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. President Lazarus Chakwera said it's concerning that many Malawians see the law enforcement agencies as the most corrupt government organizations. He made the comments recently after inspecting crops in the Jitiba district in northern Malawi. He says a lot of cases of corruption were exposed in the past, but so far no progress has been made. Chakwera says it is painful that during the election campaign, people exposed a lot of corruption-related issues, but there have been no follow-ups and nobody knows how it ended. Earlier this month, Afrobalometer, the Pan-African Research Group, issued a report showing that more than 60% of Malawians think corruption has gotten worse in the past year. The survey said 66% of Malawians were dissatisfied with the government efforts against fraud and mismanagement, and they want to see swift action against corrupt officials. And 42% of those surveyed said the police were the most corrupt in the government. Chakwera said the problem is that some authorities in law enforcement agencies sometimes delay cases for their own reasons. The president says, for example, the whereabouts of people caught stealing generators is not known, although they were exposed in public. He also says nothing is known about the progress of the case involving politicians accused of stealing money from government-owned institutions to fund their political campaigns. Political analyst George Piri says Chakwera's remarks show that he is trying to avoid taking responsibility for not hurting corruption. I don't understand what he says. He is the president. He is the one to make decisions for the delays so that there could be no delays. And if good governance means that he has to be accountable on all these things, how they are running and how they are failing or how they are uh, excelling, if he is not responsible for all what he said, then let him step down. Chakwera, however, has said although he is president, 
he cannot take charge of the operations in every government department. He said doing so would turn him into a dictator. But Piri, a former lecturer in political science at the University of Livingstonia, says even so, Chakwela could use his constitutional mandate to end conditions that allow corruption. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. Despite putting in measures to curb malaria, Zambia remains one of the hardest hit countries in Africa with over 1,000 deaths from the disease in 2021. But due to investments in the health sector, a slight improvement has been observed as the country commemorated the World Malaria Day. According to the World Health Organization, malaria remains a worrisome vector-borne infectious disease accounting for about 95% of death in sub-Saharan Africa. From Lusaka, Elias Limwanya reports. Health Minister Sylvia Masebo says Zambia recorded 6.3 million cases and 1,480 deaths last year. Thanks to donor funding, there was a reduction of 340 cases per 1,000 in 2021 compared to 428 per 1,000 in 2020. There's also been a decrease in malaria in pregnancy and under five years of age by 21%, translating to 25% reduction in malaria deaths. In commemorating the World Malaria Day, Masebo assured stakeholders of her government's efforts in eliminating the disease. The government is committed to provide quality health services and implementation of evidence based malaria interventions as close to the family as possible. This is in line with the decentralization policy, which promotes devolving most of the functions of health to the sub-national level for improved service delivery. In 2018, the U.S. Agency for International Development launched the 400,000 United States dollars malaria elimination project and is extending it to 2023. Its support will include outreach trainings to strengthen malaria diagnostic activities in over 450 health facilities across the southern African nation. Jennifer Somto is the resident advisor for health for the USAID-backed effort to curb the disease. The president's malaria initiative remains committed to working with the Zambian government and our many domestic and international partners. Together, we will advance equity, build resilience, and ultimately end malaria. The World Health Organization has reaffirmed its commitment to end malaria in Zambia with continued technical support. Dr. Nathan Bakaita is the WHO representative to the country. I also urge the members of the community to make sure that you use the preventive measures that are available, like the insecticide-treated nets, and also to cooperate with the spread teams when they come to your home and ask you to remove your property so that they can spread the house. WHO affirms its commitment to provide timely quality technical assistance to the Zambian people to attain our goal of elimination. Zambia has a national malaria elimination plan to eradicate the disease between 2022 and 2026. The effort includes various safety measures targeting 11 million people. In a WHO survey of African countries with the disease, Zambia, with about 6 million cases, 
ranks eight places below the Democratic Republic of Congo, which registered about nearly 25 million cases, followed by Nigeria, with about 21 and a half million cases in 2021. For VOA, this is Elias Limonia in Lusaka, Zambia. The World Health Organization warns that vaccine-preventable diseases are spreading across the African continent because routine immunizations against killer diseases have been disrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. Tens of millions of people have missed out on routine immunization services. That not only puts their lives at risk from potentially deadly diseases, but creates an environment in which killer diseases can thrive and spread. Benito Impuma is Director for Communicable and Non-Communicable Diseases in the World Health Organization's Regional Office for Africa. He says the pandemic has put a huge strain on health systems. It has impaired routine immunization services in many African countries and forced the suspension of vaccination drives. Over the past year, he says outbreaks of vaccine-preventable diseases have increased across the continent. For instance, between January and March of this year, around 70,000 cases of measles were recorded. This sees a 400% increase compared with the same period last year. 24 countries in our region confirmed outbreaks of variant of polio last year, which is four times more than in 2020. He notes that outbreaks of other vaccine-preventable diseases, such as yellow fever, also are surging. The World Health Organization and UNICEF recently issued a report warning of a heightened risk of vaccine-preventable diseases. They attribute it in large part to increasing inequalities in access to vaccines due to pandemic-related disruptions. They express particular concern about a worldwide spike in measles cases, which have increased by 79% in the first two months of this year. They noted that most cases were reported in Africa and in eastern Mediterranean regions. Impuma says WHO is working to improve immunization coverage and protection for children. He says WHO and its partners are supporting African countries to carry out catch-up routine vaccination campaigns. More than 30 African countries implemented at least one routine catch-up immunization campaigns in the second half of last year. And this year, countries are showing progress with measles and yellow fever campaigns starting again. Central African Republic, Chad, Equatorial Guinea, Ethiopia, Nigeria, Somalia, and South Sudan have reinstated measles campaigns which is a good news. Unfortunately, the situation regarding COVID-19 is not as good. WHO says that this week, new COVID-19 cases and deaths on the continent have increased for the first time after a decline of more than two months for cases and one month for deaths. The latest recorded figures put the number of cases at 11.6 million, including nearly 253,000 deaths. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. A new investigation by Global Witness reveals that large amounts of minerals linked to conflict and human rights abuses in the Democratic Republic of Congo are making their way into products from Apple, Tesla and other high-tech manufacturers. The supply chain due diligence system to ensure minerals are conflict-free
known as ITSCI scheme, is failing in many areas, according to Global Witness campaigner Alex Kopp, as he speaks to Ricky Shryok. About 10 years ago, uh, the international community set up some rules uh, how to deal with conflict minerals and how to try to break that link between minerals and violence. An important part of that solution is a scheme which is called ITSKI, which is supposed to ensure that only minerals that are not connected to conflict are exported from, from the country. So-called bagging and tagging system where minerals are put in bags, which are then sealed with a tag. These minerals, they should come from sometimes called, uh, called uh, conflict-free Mines. This system is specific for tin, tantalum, and tungsten, which are metals that are used in electronics. So you have them in your phone, in your car, or your computer. Our report shows that this system, Kolditsky, on which international companies rely, has, has massively failed. Uh, evidence suggests that Itsky is used to launder large amounts of minerals from mines that are controlled by violent militias or where children work, minerals that have been trafficked or smuggled. One place where we've investigated one mining area, 90% of the minerals were illicitly introduced into the ITSKI scheme. Now, companies like Apple, Tesla and Motorola, for example, they rely on the system and uh, may have used conflict minerals. So that means that basically as a consumer, you cannot be sure that you don't indirectly support violence in uh, DRC when you buy a smartphone. And what kind of real-life consequences does this have on Congolese residents? Well, that means basically the system in place doesn't effectively help to break this link between the conflict and, and the minerals. That means that in the end, uh, miners still suffer from violence and are forced to work for armed groups. In some cases, um, where armed groups continue to make money from the minerals, which, which keeps them going. In one area where we conducted research, it, it even seems that by competing with another scheme, ITSKI may have even contributed to deadly violence. So the exact opposite to what, what it, it, it is supposed to do. That was Global Witness campaigner Alex Kopp speaking to reporter Rigish Ryok. Education ministers from Commonwealth member states are meeting in Nairobi to discuss some of the Commonwealth's most pressing education challenges to implement the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development Goals. Maureen Ojambo reports. The 21st Conference of Commonwealth Education Ministers is taking place in Nairobi, Kenya, both virtually and physically, under the theme Rethinking Education for Innovation, Growth and Sustainability Post-COVID-19. This meeting takes place at a time when the world recovers from the negative impacts of COVID-19 pandemic on an education system around the world. The meeting will address the challenges to meeting the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which includes ensuring inclusive and equitable quality education and promoting lifelong learning opportunities for all. George Magoha is Kenya's Education Cabinet Secretary and the chairperson of the conference. He says the meeting will address the areas of recovery in the education sector following the COVID-19 pandemic. We will explore strategies to finance education, identify priorities and formulate recommendations ahead of the upcoming Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting scheduled June 22nd, June this year in Rwanda. In this meeting, we acknowledge the importance of an urgent accelerated Commonwealth-wide action for post-COVID education systems recovery. With only eight years left to meet the goals, the timing of this meeting is crucial. Representing President Uhuru Kenyatta, Kenya's Interior Cabinet Secretary Fred Matiangi said that 
Member states should create a foundation to strengthen education work linkages. The higher education system is in crisis in this regard. The key challenges are growing demand, limited resources, and a lack of relevance to national development needs. When schools closed during the COVID-19 pandemic, most countries used online platforms to deliver education. However, data from UNICEF and the World Bank indicates that primarily because of a lack of connectivity at home, only a quarter of the school children worldwide were able to access meaningful online learning. Conference participants are expected to identify areas of action and explore innovative approaches that can be adapted by member countries to develop sustainable and resilient education systems. Commonwealth Secretary General Patricia Scotland says member states should work together towards building a more prosperous and thriving Commonwealth for the young people. They should also show their commitment to advancing sustainable development goals and strengthening education systems and policies across Commonwealth. The Secretary General also stated that students learning from home due to lockdowns worsened existing inequalities, especially among girls in marginalized communities. Interventions need to be comparable costs, but also consideration in relation to long-term gains from learning. Technology enabled education to continue during COVID-19, lockdowns in many places, but not for everyone globally. At least 30% went without learning continuity. The conference will also include the announcement of 2022 Commonwealth Education Award finalists. The awards celebrate innovating and inspiring practices in education and learning that are replicable in different Commonwealth contexts. Policy proposals from the Nairobi meeting will inform discussions at the upcoming Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting 2022 that will take place in June in Kigali, Rwanda. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jambo in Sacramento, California. The countdown has started as African teams prepare for the Rugby World Cup Sevens 2022 in Cape Town this September. This past Sunday, 14 African teams were in Kampala for a qualifiers tournament in which Uganda men's Rugby Sevens national team beat Zimbabwe to be crowned African champions. So how popular is rugby on the continent compared to other sports? For that, I reached Ugandan sports commentator Jonah Biakutaga. This Rugby Africa Men's Sevens, this is the sixth edition since it started. And uh, Uganda has come out top three times. This was their third triumph. They also won in 2016 and 2017. And, and the packets available at the end of this tournament is there's also World Cup and Commonwealth Games qualifications. The teams that finished in the top three positions this weekend in Kampala will go directly into the World Cup to represent the continent of Africa at the Rugby Sevens World Cup, which will be hosted by South Africa in Cape Town in September this very year, 2022. So that was what was at stake. It, the top three teams were get, earning a bath to the World Cup, and then the top four teams also earned a bath in the Commonwealth Games that will be hosted in England in Birmingham in July this very year as well. This seems like a major sporting event that kind of flew under the radar for many people. How popular is rugby on the continent and how does it compare to other sports, say, like soccer or basketball? 
Yeah, I tell you what, Jackson. I, I think obviously soccer is the biggest sport worldwide, globally. There's no debate about that. But rugby is one of those fastest growing sports. Basketball has had the recent wave of the ball championships, which have drawn quite the attention. But I would hazard a guess that rugby probably still remains a slightly more popular and even bigger sport than basketball on the continent. Of the teams that you mentioned, I did not hear... Uh, you know, what is considered a global rugby powerhouse, South Africa. How come they were not part of the tournament in Kampala? Yeah, that's a very, that's a very interesting question. Uh, South Africa, for starters, they are the hosts of the, of the Rugby Africa Men's Sevens that will be taking place, like I said, in Cape Town in September. By virtue of being hosts, automatically they qualify um, as hosts. If that tournament was in Rwanda, Rwanda would qualify automatically as hosts. If it was in Cameroon, the same story. But also, South Africa belongs to the top tier of rugby, what they call the tier A or tier A of rugby. This is a tier that has top rugby nations like New Zealand, like England, like Argentina, like France, and these are like Wales and uh, Australia. These are nations that compete at the highest level. So South Africa, by virtue of belong, belonging in that tier, do not normally play in these Africa, um, African leg qualifiers. They, they, they are given that exemption because they are top tier nation. So either way, even if they are not hosts, they would have not been a part of this tournament because they are guaranteed their place at the tournament every pretty much every edition. That was Ugandan sports commentator Jonah Biakutaga. I reached him in Kampala, Uganda. Now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sports, and with that, we go to Abuja with Samson O'Malley. Good morning to you, Samson. Good Friday morning to you too, Jackson. We begin the sport with the news that the Chan Algeria 2023 qualification draw, initially scheduled for Friday the 29th of April 2022, has been postponed. CAF in a statement released on its website said a new date will be communicated soon. And now to South Africa, where Memelodi Sundowns are the South African football champions. Sundowns lifted the championship title for the fifth time in a row and a historical 12 times since the inception of the PSL in South Africa. The 2016 CAF Champions League winners have now won more titles than Kaiser Chiefs and Orlando Pirates combined who have won four each in the PSL era which began in 1996. Mamelodi Sundowns co-head coach Rulani Mokwena has described their 12th championship title as well deserved. It is just a reflection of who we are and where the club wants to go and when you set that type of standard you just strive only for perfection, you just strive only to win things. Staying with football news, CAF President Dr. Patrice Mosepi has launched the CAF African Schools football program in Maputo, Mozambique. The kickoff of the CAF African Schools football program is one of Mosepi's African Youth Football Development Objectives as announced in April 2021 during a visit in Abidjan, Côte d'Ivoire. The CAF African Schools Football Program is a partnership involving CAF, African governments and football associations from 41 participating countries. The program also involves the provision of education, coaching, football and skills development courses. One of the greatest investments we can make in African football is in schools football. We could not have chosen a better place to... uh, 
show and reflect the commitment of investment in schools football, which is the heart and soul of the future and the development of African football. In athletics, Kenya has launched what appears to be the richest marathon in Africa. Organizers of the inaugural Uhuru Classic Nairobi City Marathon on May 8th have set aside $389,500 as prize money. The male and female winners for the full marathon will pocket around $60,000, making the competition Africa's most lucrative road race. The marathon course will sneak through the iconic Nairobi Expressway, bringing together thousands of runners from Kenya and beyond. In Nigeria, the Athletics Federation of Nigeria has begun the selection of athletes for the 22nd African Senior Championships holding in Mauritius. In 2018, Nigeria hosted the last edition of the African Senior Athletics Championships in Asaba Delta State, finishing third on the medals table with nine gold, five silver and six bronze medals behind South Africa and Kenya. And that's it on Daybreak African Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Jackson, in Washington. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington.